there are plenty of people who are not ace and who are ambivalent towards sex. There are people like who are sex repulsed and they're not ace. So there's a lot of you know crisscrossing and overlap. I like seeing that. Welcome to Cringe Watchers, a podcast where we invite our expert friends to binge watch TV and talk about sex. This episode, we watched High Maintenance and asked Angela Chen, how do asexual people navigate dating? Lori, are you binging or cringing? Layla, this week I am binging powerful content featuring powerful women athletes. For example, Shikari Richardson hugging her grandma is the Pride Month content I never knew I needed. Of course, Shikari Richardson is the woman with the unforgettable orange hair and gorgeous eyelashes who qualified for the Olympics this week with a record-setting track time during Pride Month, nonetheless, and slayed us all with her very lovable reactions and connection to her grandma. I'm also really valuing Laurel Hubbard, who is the first trans athlete who has qualified for the Olympic Games in history. So shout out to her. And as well, cannot get enough of watching Simone Biles in slow motion, hitting as only Simone Biles can, a perfect pike vault, not once, but twice. Amazing. I have also been watching Simone Biles in (laughs) slow-mo. It's really good for just feeling inspired. (laughs) Truly. And I hate to take it down, but I am cringing this week. Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. There's a, there's, I think a light at the end of the tunnel, but I just want to take a second to cringe and complain about the state of elder care in America, but more specifically nutrition and the food that we are feeding people in hospitals and nursing homes. I had a small taste of this pun intended recently when my dad, who is older, had some surgery and had to go to a post-op rehab. And, you know, we live in New York state where all post-op rehabs are in nursing homes. So there are people living there permanently and people there just to rehabilitate. And the food they are serving people, including my diabetic dad is horrific. It is fried. It is stinky. It is cold. It is inedible. And it is depressing at a time when people really need their spirits and their nutrition boosted to get better. On the flip side, I want to shout out Lenox Hill Hospital, where for one beautiful week during his recovery, my dad had access to a Michelin starred chef's program of food and the beautiful, fresh, healthy food that came to his room and lifted his spirits were amazing. And it made me want to quit everything, get into elder care, meet the chef who's fixed Lennox Hill and team up with him to fix America. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm sorry you're having to go through that. And I hope that your father's doing better. He's doing so much better. And I I wouldn't make light of it on the podcast if he wasn't. Uh, But thank you. I'm also excited to talk to you because this week was such an interesting episode. It really was. I really enjoyed the conversation we had. I did too. I we're, we're talking about ACE or asexuality this week. The term ACE is something I learned when a friend made a post on Instagram and used the term to come out. And I had to Google what it meant. That led us to meet Angela Chen, who herself identifies as ACE and has written a really interesting book and maybe the only comprehensive nonfiction book about asexuality. And we, we got to talk to her. 
we chose to leverage her expertise to discuss episode two, season four of High Maintenance. This episode is called Trick, which refers to two storylines, one involving a young Black sex worker and his client, and the other an asexual magician. Both stories revolve deeply around questions of intimacy and boundaries. And for those who have been fans of High Maintenance and seen it before, the asexual magician named Evan has popped up before. Uh, High Maintenance is a show that follows a weed dealer as he bikes around New York City. And each episode, you get to pop into the apartment and the life of a different New York character. Uh, And so we talked to Angela about this episode where Evan is working as an extra on a movie set and meets Kim, who is an intimacy coordinator or someone who helps actors on set negotiate sex scenes and intimacy. Which I cannot believe is actually a real job you can have, by the way. And after this episode, I looked into it and surprise, like most good things, this came about as the direct result of feminist organizing. So it actually was following the rise of the Me Too movement when they invented the intimacy coordinator. And today there are an estimated 50 to 60 trained intimacy coordinators working across the globe and growing. So that's a cool profession that somebody should have. Um, But since asexuality is so undercovered in media, in this episode, we start out with some 101 conversations, but then we really got into a deeply nuanced and rich conversation with Angela about how asexuality is a spectrum, ambivalence around sex, why sexuality is not always a journey of questioning, but really a destination and so much more. So without further ado, here's our interview with Angela. Angela, welcome. Thank you so much for talking to us today. We're really excited and I am not quite done, but I've been reading your book, Ace, What Asexuality Reveals About Desire, Society, and the Meaning of Sex. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat about this episode. I've been meaning to watch it and you gave me the perfect opportunity to do. <laughs> That's great because I, one of one of my assumptions was maybe as an expert in all things Ace, you have seen all media ever that refers to asexuality in any way. But I'm glad we could introduce you to this. You know, as I told you, I listened to your interview on the podcast, AOK. And one of the things that really struck me was you saying that any representation of asexuality in film or literature or TV has to be an introduction to the entire concept uh, because it's so little covered in in media. And that actually leaves a very little room for character development. So I'm curious what you thought of, um, of Evan, the magician, and, and his interactions with Kim, the uh, consultant in, in this episode of High Maintenance. Honestly, I really thought it was great. And I think that this episode shows that basically when I said that on AOK, that, that I wasn't right, because I think this episode does a great job in which he says he's asexual and she says oh it's a spectrum they talk about what a romantic means he even says something like you know the words but there's no ace 101 talk i really enjoyed it because going into it i was expecting some kind of scene where he says i'm asexual she says what does that mean and then he explains what it is but then says the spiel that I feel like I'm always saying, which is some people have sex and some people don't, and some people are this and some people are that. And it wasn't there. And I thought that was so refreshing that there was 
an implied understanding. And you can tell that it was surprising for Evan too. I think he'd expected in that scene to be explaining and doing that one-on-one spiel. So it was really refreshing to see this treatment of it. Yeah, I mean, even though she seems very familiar with the concept and he doesn't have to do any ACE 101, I don't think they use the term ACE. And I'm curious, when did that term come into prominence? I think this most recent episode is in 2020. The term has been around for quite a while. So to my understanding, and this may not be entirely correct, but I believe asexual came first. And at one point, I think people in the community kind of decided that we wanted, um, I well, we, but I wasn't there, you know, that the community wanted ACE to be the shorthand because it sounds cool. And I think it's a little broader, you know, asexuality is a spectrum and, and so on. And also for me personally, I've always thought asexual sounds a little bit clinical in the same way that maybe saying homosexual sounds a little more clinical or formal, or saying gay or queer, for example, um, does not. Um, but definitely the term ace has been around long before this episode. I do think it sounds really cool. I'm wondering, do you have an elevator pitch or an ACE 101? Like when somebody asks you the definition, what do you say? I don't have a short elevator pitch because I think it's really, it's really hard because the, the, the elevator pitch, the definition is a person who doesn't experience sexual attraction. But then you have to explain that most people don't understand what sexual attraction is. Then you have to explain that it's possible to not experience sexual attraction, but enjoy sex. But it's also possible to not experience sexual attraction and be repulsed by sex. So I, you know, I think that it's definitely true that most representation of asexuality in popular culture focuses on people who are on the more sex repulsed side of the spectrum or who abstain or who are more celibate. And there's probably less representation of folks who are like me. I'm ace, of course, um, but I'm not celibate. Um, I have been in long-term relationships. I have sex. Um, Were you surprised that they didn't use that term here, Angela? Is that something that you think someone like Evan would be using to sort of introduce himself and his identity? Or do you think that maybe he held that back because he wasn't expecting Kim to have that background? Reflecting on it, it's probably more likely given what happens in that situation that he said asexual because he probably assumed she didn't know what it was. And so if you start with saying I'm ace, then the next question often is what does that mean? And you end up anyway at I'm asexual. So I think for some people, a lot of people, um, they probably lead with asexual and then go with um, ace as the shorthand. Right. So Angela, in this episode, Evan identifies as asexual, but not aromantic. And Kim does not identify as asexual or aromantic. And they go on two dates in this episode. So ostensibly, what this means is that, you know, Kim is having sexual desires that Evan is most likely not interested in fulfilling. And Although Kim does disclose in the episode that even though she's not asexual, sex has, quote, not been a great part of my life, you know, which does point to the ways in which people of all varying identities do have complicated relationships with sex. There's still this kind of central tension that is driving a lot of this episode around, is this an irreconcilable difference between them? Is Evan being asexual and Kim not identifying that way? a problem for them? Um, Is it that a problem for their chemistry? Or is this more akin to a difference in sex drive or a difference in a sexual kink or a difference in comfort level with monogamy, etc. that really 
all couples essentially have to navigate in order to be together. Is the question whether it can be reconciled? Yeah. Is Evan being asexual and Kim not an irreconcilable difference in your opinion? I think that I don't know because it is so specific to the two of them. You know, it's in the same way that if you told me about two, that these were two real people, or even if these were two of my real friends, it would be very hard for me to say because the key question for us and for for everyone and in all of these situations, including the ones you mentioned about polyamory versus you know, monogamy or kinks and so on, the question is, what do I really need? Where is there flexibility? Where is there space? What is a hard boundary? What is a line in the sand? And these are questions that even you know, as someone who is ace and has thought a lot about asexuality, I couldn't tell Evan and Kim. And I don't think I could tell any two specific real people in this situation as well, because it's really up to them. And I'm not those people. I think that it seems like both of them are very emotionally intelligent. Kim definitely you know, she knows how to coordinate intimacy, as she says in the episode. You know, I think this is something that from what I saw in the episode, I don't know if they know the answer either. I think they're going to have to figure it out themselves. But what I see is two people who are both respectful of what the other person wants, who are both a little unsure, understandably so, who have a little bit of fear, but are willing to try. I can't tell you whether this can be solved or not, but it seems like if it could be solved, they are in a good position to do it because of how mature and how self-assured they are. You know, one thing that I think really stood out to me about the episode is when Evan says something like, I'm not a virgin, but I do abstain and that's important to him. I think it's really, really hard for ace folks to really draw that boundary and to know themselves because there's so much pressure to, you know, even if it's important to you to just take one for the team or, you know, this is the price you have to pay. And it's really impressive, honestly, to see people who know what they want and are still willing to say, well, let's try this. So I can't really answer your question, but hopefully that provides some context. I love how they're really trying to understand each other, even though fully understanding each other seems like that might not be ever ever be possible. In reading your book, I really love the way you open with your own personal experience and sort of coming to an understanding of what ace or asexuality means. And, you know, you open with this anecdote about trying to get a friend to describe and explain sexual desire to you. It reminded me of, you know, metaphors for trying to describe, describe color to someone who doesn't see it. I also really love the way you touch on the difference between sexual attraction and uh, sexual behavior. So I'm wondering, when did you realize that this thing that you thought other people were talking about and describing was something that you yourself weren't experiencing? Well, one of the times was, you know, as I wrote about the prologue of my book, when I was talking to my friend and asking her to explain sexual attraction to me, even though at that point, you know, I was not, am not celibate, and she was still a virgin, but she'd always talked a lot about lust and desire. You know, it wasn't about how much sex she was having or how much I was having, because I definitely had more than her at that point. It was about the level of attraction, the way of relating. So that was one moment, but there's a lot of background to that. And I think it's because, you know, I had a relationship in the past um, where it wasn't that, you know, even a difference in sexual desire, sexual behavior, that was not the problem. But I think there were issues in that relationship that I later on realized was because that I was ace and I didn't know it. 
Um, and that kind of started me thinking, you know, what is this experience that I always assumed that I experienced because I'm not averse to sex and because I, you know, am not a romantic myself and because I have aesthetic types. I have a question for you that's very 101, which is, um, do ace people also identify further, you know, as heterosexual or homosexual or bisexual, if you just want to share a little bit about your knowledge in that area with our listeners? Yeah, so that's um, what we call romantic orientation. So ace people are asexual, or, you know, somewhere on the asexual spectrum, but you can be heteroromantic, for example, you can be biromantic, homoromantic. So it's essentially what you would think of as a sexual orientation, only it's a romantic orientation. You know, Evan, he might be heteroromantic, he might be panromantic. I don't think we know that. You know, that's one of the tricky things about asexuality. It can be very difficult to tease out. And, you know, just going briefly back to the episode, another thing I liked about it was that it wasn't showing us and maybe it did in previous episodes, which I haven't seen, but it wasn't showing us his journey of questioning whether he was ace or not. You know, that's a very valuable story, but I liked having a story start from someone already knowing, you know, being, you know, maybe feeling whatever they want to thought, but not starting with the place of, am I, am I not, can I be changed? That was refreshing. One of the interesting things about this show is that the only main recurring character truly is is the pot dealer who whose name we never get. He's just the guy. But Evan does show up in the web series and then later in an, an early episode of the HBO series. But I don't think they ever, he's never self-questioning. A lot of his struggle is disclosing, feeling understood by his family and by people around him, but not not knowing himself who he is. That's That's never his struggle. Yeah, and I, I really like that, especially because for a lot of ace people, there is always a question and it's always, am I really quote unquote ace or am I just shy? Am I, is it because, you know, I've been oppressed by the patriarchy? You know, if you want to find something to explain away your asexuality, people will be very excited and very willing to offer you any number of reasons that it's actually something else. And so having someone not always be questioning that and be navigating and said, you know, this new question, I know this is who I am. How do I tell the story? How do I, you know, fulfill my romantic desires? That's, um, that's cool to see. In this episode, we see a lot of dealing with boundaries and consent, you know, whether it's tending to a Black queer sex worker's comfort level, as we see in the first part of the episode, or guiding actors through a sex scene as an intimacy coordinator, which we see Kim do, boundaries and consent are ever-present. And we see this, of course, in the somewhat awkward boundary setting that happens as part of Evan and Kim's dynamic. And something I did appreciate about this episode is that Even though, to your point, Angela, both parties are really emotionally intelligent and they're portrayed as respectful and well-intended, their boundary setting is still awkward. We see Kim, you know, visibly cringing at times, um, and there's a lot of vulnerability in Evan's admission in the middle of a first date that he's not a virgin, but he does abstain. You know, these are not necessarily issues that we're all excited to disclose about ourselves right away. Um, so I appreciated that they portrayed some of the rawness of that and how just because you know intellectually what to do um, when it comes to setting boundaries, that doesn't mean it's always a perfect or comfortable execution. I was wondering if you could speak a bit 
more to how ace or asexual people conduct boundary setting and whether you know, boundaries and consent might be especially important to asexual folks? And also, does it always have to be this awkward? Do you have any tips for making it less awkward? You know, I agree that I love that it was awkward because I think that when I talk to a lot of folks about, you know, these questions, not necessarily ace folks, but it's always you know, implicit the undercurrent is always something like, how can I not talk about this? Or how can I not make this awkward? And I just think that if we go through life, we're going to have to get through some awkward things. You know, to me, it's almost like asking, you know, how can I be a teenager without ever feeling awkward? You know, you just have to get through those years. So, you know, I wouldn't say that boundaries are especially important for ace people. I think they're just important for everyone. I think I would phrase it more like, in some ways, aces are more vulnerable because their boundaries are maybe are different or are stricter than they would be for folks who aren't ace and people are less respectful. And I think it can be harder to navigate. You know, like I said, it's great that, you know, Kim doesn't try to say anything like, are you sure? You know, what if you just tried it? Maybe you just haven't had good sex before. But those are all the kinds of things that people do say to aces. And so you can imagine that the conversation might be even more emotionally difficult or excruciating if instead of, you know, Kim just looking kind of uncomfortable, you were being challenged. I think that can be really um, difficult. So I think actually just a certain amount of acceptance of awkwardness um, is just part of the game. I think what's maybe more important is, you know, going back to that self-assurance, you know, when people are always asking you, are you sure? Of course, after a while, you start thinking, am I sure? You know, maybe they're right, especially if they're people in some kind of position of power, like therapists. You know, I hear a lot of people say that they'll go to therapy and talk about being ace and their therapist will say, oh, no, it's be- it's clearly because of some family thing, some trauma, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know if I have any tips for the awkwardness other than to maybe expect it and to normalize it. I think the more important thing is Knowing that what you know about yourself, which for many aces is very hard earned and has taken a lot of time and a lot of thought, that all of that is so important and worth standing up for. Um, one thing I, I wanted to mention, and this isn't really a criticism of, of the show or this episode, which I really liked. It was interesting to me that Evan said something like, I should have told you earlier, because there's actually a big conversation in Ace Spaces about, you know, to what extent do we owe telling people immediately? And I think the way that Evan feels, I'm sure, is how a lot of people feel. But as far as I could tell, they were on their first date. I definitely don't think he owed it to tell Kim earlier. I think people can tell folks when it's comfortable for them, especially because, to be very honest, a lot of times disclosing that you're ace can sometimes provoke a not very friendly or understanding response. And you don't want to put yourself in that position over and over again. In the scene where he's trying to do a magic trick for Kim and he says, oh, the card is under your drink or something like that. I couldn't actually see what the card was. So you'll have to go back and double check. But I thought it might be an ace because, you know, aces use that kind of card imagery. Ace of spades, ace of et cetera. You know, ace is a card. It's a card. Um, and so I thought maybe that might have been a shout out. But like I said, I didn't quite catch it when I was watching. So ah. interesting. That's like a fun little ace Easter egg that they put into this episode. I love that. Yeah. 
One thing that stood out to me, and I do think I'm reading too much into it, but when Kim first meets Evan, he says they're at a food table on a on a set, and he says something like, I'm not even hungry, I just feel like I'm in the way everywhere else. And that was kind of poignant to me because, you know, aces are often feel like we have a lack of appetite. You know, everyone else has this appetite. We don't, you know, sex and hunger and food are so connected. And so something about that as someone who's ace and watching it, I don't know if that was intended, but it felt almost like a commentary on how a lot of aces feel out of place, you know, in um, sometimes even in uh, queer organizations, definitely in, you know, non-ace spaces. So just thought that was interesting and maybe worth mentioning. Wow. That's yeah. I, I completely related from the sense of being awkward at a party, but uh, I had not thought about the the metaphor of appetite. And I thought you might have more critique about the fact that he was so sex repulsed as the only representation of ACE. If you wanted to be nitpicky and I don't necessarily want to be nitpicky, you know, I think this was a good episode, but there's one point where he says, I'm asexual. And she says something like how asexual, and you can make the argument that she should have maybe said something like how sex repulsed, because, you know, in the ACE community, it's on a spectrum, but the folks who aren't sex repulsed are very ACE, you know, too. And I know they can feel like they're not ace enough. So if you wanted to be nitpicky, you can maybe say that how asexual isn't the right way to word it. You should focus on behavior, not how much attraction he feels or not. But, you know, I think it was very realistic. I think that dialogue, you know, given in the moment, like this is a portrayal of how people talk. I don't think it necessarily needs to be perfect in every implication. I also wonder a little bit if the genders had been reversed in this particular episode and Kim had been the asexual one and Evan hadn't, how that might've impacted their dynamic. Yeah, I think that's really interesting to think about. I feel like if, and this would have been not in the episode itself, but I feel like if Kim were the ace one, maybe there would have been more questioning because I think for women, um, especially if you're a progressive woman, there's the idea, oh, the only reason you might not be interested in sex is because you've been shamed out of it. Whereas I think for men, because men are expected to be so sexual, the idea that if you know your ASO, you've already done your inner work. Whereas women need to, women's inner work is to become more sexual, if that makes sense. I really did like, as you said, the fact that she's not ace as far as we know, and is still ambivalent towards sex because that's such a great nuance. Yeah, that's so interesting. When Marie Rose moved to Alaska in 2016, it was the first time she ate high-quality wild Alaska salmon. Between the mislabeling of fish and poor-quality seafood she experienced growing up in Michigan, she knew there was an opportunity to make top-quality, nutritious, and sustainably fished Alaska salmon more accessible across the country. So, Marie co-founded Shoreline Wild Salmon. As the name suggests, Shoreline wild salmon is wild caught in the icy waters of Alaska and fished with a hook and line method. That means each salmon is caught, cleaned, and filleted one at a time right off the coast of Alaska. Shoreline wild salmon ships directly to customers all over the United States. Visit shorelinewildsalmon.com to order. Cringe Watchers listeners can use the code EATWILD10 for 10% off your first order.
Now we'd like to pivot to what we call the cringe fire or our rapid response questions for the end of the episode. My first question for you is what other shows are you binging right now? The show I've been loving most recently is this German show called Dark, which is on Netflix. And it's this really smart time travel sci-fi show, though the music is really cheesy. So I have to warn you. Love it. Cheesy is good in my book. What is something in the world or in society that you are finding super cringy at the moment? The honest answer is an extremely boring answer is that the weather, I feel like it's been so hot these days. And every day I look out the window and I like my face just falls. The next question is, is there an aspect of sex or sexuality that you would like to see portrayed or better portrayed in media? Absolutely. There's so many, you know, on the ACE front, um, like I said, more stories that don't start with questioning that start with you already know, then what? I'd really love to see more about sexuality and how that changes when you have children. I don't think it's portrayed very much. And when I do, I think it's often in a tired we never have sex anymore since the kids came kind of way. And I would love to see stuff about non-traditional families, not just necessarily poly families, but, you know, platonic co-parenting and those kinds of stories. I would watch that as well. Note to Hollywood, let's make it happen. Um, so our final cringe fire question for you today, Angela, is what is a favorite scene depicting sex or sexuality in media? Um, so right before the pandemic, the last movie I watched in theaters was Portia of a Lady on Fire. And everything about that movie was gorgeous. And the sex scene in that was was beautiful, too. And I think it was just really shot artfully and there was no coercion. It didn't feel like it was for men. So I would have to go with that. I have to say, Angela, I've so enjoyed hearing your responses and stories. Yeah, really, thank you. Is My definition is is broadening all the time, but it's 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 really helpful to have sort of a, both a personal and academic treatment that you have to really explain these concepts that can be, can feel intimidating to understand. So I, I appreciate how you're both academic and accessible in, in the way that you're sharing all this with us. Yeah, thank you. This has been a really fun conversation. Thank you to our guest, Angela Chen, for sharing her research and her story. You can find Angela online at angelachen.org and please buy her book. If you liked the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. We also have a Patreon page. Visit patreon.com slash cringewatchers to become a patron and get early access to new episodes, special shout outs, and more fun perks. By the way, thank you to everyone who has supported us so far. And thank you to Soraya Darby, our latest Cringe Watchers squad level patron and one of our earliest cheerleaders. Truly. Thank you, Sauce. And thank you to our editor, Karen Y. Chan. Judith Walker created our logos and cover art. You can always tweet us at Cringe Watchers or email us at cringewatcherspod at gmail.com with story, advertising, and partnership ideas. Dallas D.L. Ingram created our theme song, and that's it for now. Thank you for cringe-watching with us. Until next time. <laughs>